Um, I'm going to read the passage uh, that Richard's going to speak on, uh, then we're going to sing, and then uh, Richard uh, will speak to us. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, uh, and we're going to read verses 22 to uh, 33. So Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, and then I say we'll sing before Richard speaks. Let's hear God's word together. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, I've been doing my sums, and uh, there are two more sessions. Two more interviews. I'm already beginning to pray for the victims <laughs> of, uh, of interview four, because I just can't imagine what that's going to be like, except it's going to be awesome fun. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, you see, life is full of disappointments. <laughs> and this talk might be one of them, so we better pray. <laughs> Father God, thank you so much for, for the way you know us. You know us through and through. We want to ask you, would search us, Father God. Thank you that there are no secrets with you, but, but please just come to us now and speak in, right into the depths of our hearts, we ask. And we pray this because we do desire with all our hearts to please you, but we know there's lots about us that doesn't. So please come and continue that process of transformation, even now we ask. Amen. Well, back in 2001... John Ortberg published a best-selling book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Now, I don't know about you, <coughs> but uh, my desire to walk on water has never been kind of high on my list of priorities. I'm not even that keen on boats. But John Ortberg was making a point. Uh, following the Lord Jesus is not always the safe option. It isn't about our personal comfort. It may involve us in taking risks. And as I get older, I need to hear this message more and more often. Maybe you too. So I wonder if you'll indulge me this morning. I really want to preach to myself. And I'm just going to give you the opportunity to overhear what I've got to say. 
Um, a little while ago, we just witnessed the call of Peter as the Lord Jesus promised to transform him from fisherman to fisher of men. Now Matthew picks up the story. He tells us that the disciples have just witnessed the Lord Jesus performing the most incredible miracle in which he uh, feeds 5,000 men plus their wives and their children with just five bread rolls and two small fish. And right now, at this very moment, the disciples are sitting on the evidence because there are 12 baskets of... It's good, I'm getting louder and louder. 12 baskets of leftovers. The question is whether they learned from that experience. And how has it strengthened their faith? Has it helped them to grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus? What they need is a little test to find out. In John's account, the crowds are quick to make the connection between Jesus feeding them in this deserted spot and Moses feeding their forefathers in the wilderness. Could Jesus be a greater leader than Moses, they wonder? It's a very good question. But is it a question going through the disciples' mind just now, we wonder? And if the crowds could see Jesus as a greater leader than Moses, feeding his people in the wilderness, can the disciples see Jesus as a greater leader than Moses, leading them through the Red Sea? Well, we'll pick up that theme in a moment. But first, I just want you to notice where the story starts. If you were kind of contemplating from the off, you may have found verse 22 rather abrupt. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. First, he makes the disciples get into the boat. The word is compels them. And then twice, Matthew tells us that he dismisses the crowd. You s there's a kind of sense of urgency about this. And I want to know why I'm asking Jesus, why, what the, why the hurry? I mean, it seems to me that after the events surrounding the feeding of the 5,000, why is he so keen to get the crowd away from him and the disciples away from them? When they've been so wowed by what he's just done and they're wanting more. And I guess that's the snag. Jesus does not share the crowd's agenda. The crowd here are a little bit like an eight-year-old in a sweet shop or me in a car showroom. I mean, here's a man who can feed our stomachs, heal our sicknesses, defeat our enemies. Who wouldn't want to vote for him? Economically, socially, politically, Jesus is exactly the kind of savior we're looking for. Except he doesn't agree. But the focus just now isn't really on the crowd, it's on the disciples. If the crowd can see Jesus as a greater leader than Moses feeding his people in the wilderness, can they see Jesus as a greater leader than Moses seeing him through the Red Sea? Well, we're about to find out. Speaking of Jesus, where is he? Well, Matthew tells us that he's headed up to the mountainside by himself to meet with Father God. This is a bit of a diversion, but the older I get, the more precious those prayer times with Jesus must have been. Can you just imagine what it would be like for the Son of God to live in a world deeply at odds with his Father? How he must have loved those times when he could meet with Dad. And as well as there that the disciples find themselves caught up in a storm. 
Look at verse 24. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted, tormented is the word, by the wet waves because the wind was against it. Don't get missed the point. This is no passing squall. This is a full-scale Galilean gale. I've only ever been seasick once. If it never happens again, that will be just fine by me. I only have to think about the size of these waves, the strength of this wind, the darkness of this night, and I'm reaching for my seasickness tablets. The storm is so violent that by three o'clock in the morning, the disciples have abandoned any idea of making it to the other side. It's now just a battle to stay alive. And that's when someone spots this shadowy figure emerging through the gale. Now, it's one thing to face the wind and the waves, but quite another to face some otherworldly being. It must be a ghost. Let me ask, when was the last time you screamed? I don't mean squealing with delight on some ridiculous ride at Alton Towers. I mean screaming with terror. I'm not sure I have ever screamed like this. From the safety of our seats this morning, we may wonder how on earth the disciples can fail at this spot, this fail at this spot, that it's Jesus. I mean, who else could it be? But then, I've noticed that in the middle of the storms that break over my life, I'm not that good at recognizing Jesus. It always takes a work of the Spirit for me to recognize him. So how do we get from here a bunch of disabled disciples huddling up in a boat in a, in a kind of storm ten gale to the point where J Peter is willing to put his leg over the side and launch himself into the deep? I think you probably got the message that I'm not good with water at the best of times. Oh, I wouldn't even try this in the bath at home when there's no one looking let alone when the waves are crashing, the wind is howling, and there are 11 pairs of eyes training on what I'm about to do. So how on earth does this happen? Well, for, the, for my heart to get the better of my head, I've got to be pretty sure about three things, three things that make all the difference. And here's the first. Seeing who Jesus is. Seeing who Jesus is. To dare to leave the safety of the boat, relatively, in a storm, I've got to be pretty sure who Jesus is. That's Matthew's point. Look at verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Literally have courage, I am. And for those of you who know your Bibles well, you'll pick up the resonances. Have courage, I am. And Peter, who's not always quick on the uptake, gets the point immediately this time. Verse 28, Lord, if it is you, kind of, if it is really you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now remember, the disciples have set off across the lake at Jesus' express command. This has been a setup job from the start. They've got to learn that following him is not a guarantee of a trouble-free life. There's nothing in the small print about being spared from adversity. Storms come as part of the package. And now this storm has got their full attention. Jesus wants to know how much the disciples have learned 
than the feeding of the 5,000. It's as if he's saying to them, take courage, it is me. Don't be afraid. You should know enough about me by now. You know enough about my character. You know enough about my competence. You know enough about my care for you. You should know by now that you can safely place your complete confidence in me. So is it just the sound of Jesus' voice that captures Peter's imagination? No. Listen to this from Mark's account. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Now here are the disciples. The, The storm is threatening to overwhelm them, and Jesus intends to pass them by. Well, what's that all about? Doesn't he care? No, precisely the opposite. He cares very much indeed. To pass by is the phrase the Old Testament writers use for those times when God shows up in human form. Those defining moments when the invisible God breaks through into the visible. He puts Moses in a cleft in the rock, and this is what he says to him. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. On another occasion, he says something very similar to Elijah. Go and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It's the same phrase, and now we hear it again. He was about to pass them by. And there's a pattern to these stories. In each case, God wants to grab his servant's attention through the revelation of his love on Mount Sinai, through the wind and the fire on the same mountain, by walking on the water in a Galilean gale. And in each case, He's preparing his servants for some new step of faith in their life and their ministry. God's preparing Moses to lead his people through the wilderness into the promised land. He's preparing Elijah to go back after a nervous breakdown and appoint his successor. He's preparing Peter to lead the church through the storms that will inevitably break after the heady days of Pentecost. So when Jesus comes to the disciples walking on the water at the height of a storm, he's not just performing another neat trick, he's revealing something of his divine presence. This is none other than God drawing near. And it's as if Peter makes the connection. Look carefully at what he says. Verse 28, Lord, if it is you, you tell me to come to you on the water. I think our Bibles don't quite capture the spirit of what Peter's saying here. Again, it may be my imagination, but I don't think there's any if about it. He knows who it is. It would be better to say, Lord, since it is you. Lord, because it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. So what's going to make me ready to leave the safety of the boat and to take to the water? First of all, it's seeing who Jesus is. But then, secondly, I need to hear what Jesus says. Uh, I don't know how you react to Peter in this story. Perhaps you write him off as the worst kind of exhibitionist. I come from a kind of Christian tradition that really is very sceptical of the danger of personality. 
personality needs to be hidden well out of the way. Often preachers would pray at the beginning of a meeting, or please hide me behind the shadow of the cross. I only want people to see Jesus. And maybe you think that about Peter here. Peter, the one who always wants to be noticed. I'm sure the other disciples must think that. They look at him in stunned disbelief. Peter, have you gone mad? But listen again to Matthew. See, this isn't really a story about risk-taking. This is a story about the making of a man of God. It's not about Peter making a fool of himself. It's about Jesus teaching Peter to obey his call on Peter's life in view of all that's to come. Peter needs to know absolutely and certainly that he can trust Jesus with his very life. Look again at verse 28. Lord, because it's you, tell me, command me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then, only then, Peter got down out of the boat. Doesn't it make all the difference when it's the Lord Jesus who's speaking? This isn't so much of an, an invitation, is it? This is a summons. Come. Now, I don't know for sure, but I wonder. I wonder if I can see a smile breaking over Jesus' face at this point. He set up this little exercise to test the disciples' faith, and one of them, at least one of them, has got something near it. At least one of them has got a faint inkling of what's going on here. Why do you think Peter's willing to risk everything by leaving the relative safety of the boat when there's a gale blowing? Peter gets out of the boat for one reason and one reason only. Out of the boat is where Jesus is. And when Jesus says, come, a man after Jesus' own heart responds. Now again, maybe we feel irritated with Peter. Why can't he just stay in the boat like everybody else? Why does he have to be different? Peter dares to be different because that's how much he loves the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a fantastic thing? when a child sees his mum and his dad doing this and, and wants to have a go at doing it as well. He, she simply wants to be like mum and dad. And there's a sense in which that's what's happening here. Jesus hasn't called the disciples just so they can watch from the sidelines. He's called them so that they can be totally involved in the mission he's come to fulfil. And total involvement means total engagement, and that means total commitment. Ultimately, he's preparing Peter and the others for life and ministry after his death. Now, of course, Peter's desire to follow Jesus isn't going to end here, is it? We're going to see tomorrow that Peter and Jesus are going to go for a long walk along the beach. And three times Jesus is going to challenge Peter with the same disturbing, probing, personal question, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And three times Peter will reply, Lord, reply, Lord, you know everything, you know I love you. And Jesus will say, I tell you the truth, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God 
Then he said, follow me. Jesus isn't simply calling Peter to get out of the boat. He's calling him to take up his cross and follow him. To follow him all the way to death. This is a call to radical discipleship. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something I find deeply disturbing about all of this. Because it makes me ask, where's my heart this morning? We, We used to talk about couch potatoes, you know? People who kind of were content to lounge around and whilst they're watching other people live their lives on TV. But they were content to be spectators. Well, Jesus does not call me to be a pew potato. He calls me to be actively involved with him. He wants me to be doing what he's doing. And the question that disturbs me is, do I love Jesus so much that I'm willing to leave my comfort zone to do something new for him? Am I so captivated, so motivated by him that if he's doing it, I want to be doing it too? What is it that's going to get me out of the boat? First, I need to know who Jesus is. Secondly, I need to hear what he's saying. But if Peter's going to leave the relative safety of the boat, there's got to be one more thing. You've got to trust what Jesus can do. And I need to learn to trust what Jesus can do. Does Peter have what it takes to walk on water? (laughs) Of course he doesn't. And neither do I. Walking on water only works if the Lord Jesus makes it work. Getting out of the boat in a storm is an act of total dependence on Jesus. If he's not in this, Peter is going to sink without trace. Now that is scary. But come back to the passage and look again at verse 28. Lord, because it is you. Lord, because it is you. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. And I want you to notice that. Tell me to come to you. Then Peter got down out of the boat and came towards Jesus. Matthew's whole emphasis here is on the direction of travel. Peter's not interested in walking on water. Peter's whole interest is being with Jesus. And now he's seeing more clearly than he's ever seen before that he can place his whole being in Jesus' hands. Whether he sinks or whether he succeeds at this point is entirely down to Jesus. And there's a lesson for me here. See, it's great hearing talks and reading books about the power of God. I'm reading one at home right now. But when do I really learn about the power of God? It's when the Lord Jesus calls me to get out of the boat and forces me to rely on him and him alone. Now, I want a a life that's safe. I I want to construct a life that I think I can manage, a, a life that has a degree of predictability, a bit of certainty about it. And then Jesus passes by and shakes it all up and calls me to get out of the boat and sets before me a task that's way beyond me. And what happens? There's crisis and there's opportunity. There's fear and sometimes there's failure. But there's always a wonderful chance for my faith to grow as Peter's faith grows here. 
I wonder what's in Jesus' heart as he approaches the boat, almost overwhelmed by the storm. He loves these guys. He's watched them, watched them out on the lake, struggling in the storm while he was praying with Father God. He prayed for them. I can't imagine he didn't pray for this very moment. And I wonder if his heart leaps with joy when one of the twelve says, Lord, since it is you, tell me to come. But why is Peter the only one? What about the other eleven? Doesn't it dawn on them to walk on water? Don't they want to be where Jesus is? The answer is evidently not quite enough. Well, we know how the story ends. Badly. When Peter realizes where he is and what he's done, literally when he sees the strength of the wind, he's terrified and begins to sink. And in desperation, he cries out, Lord, save me. The psalmist David would put it in Psalm 69, do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the death swallow me up. Peter hasn't got time for all of that. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus responds by reaching out a strong hand and catching him. And what does he say? You of little faith. How would you say the bit that comes next? Does he say it with a smile or a frown? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Or does he say it with a smile? You of little faith, what did you doubt for? Or what's the lesson? That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Next time, Peter, stay in the boat. But I'm not so sure. Eleven people have witnessed something new today. But one person has experienced something new today. That the Lord Jesus really is in control of events. His timing is perfect. His word is enough. His purpose is is good. This has never, ever been about storms or walking on water or even about Peter. It's always been about Jesus teaching us that we can trust him. Can the disciples see him as a greater leader than Moses, leading them through the Red Sea? Well, come with me to verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And if we were reading through Matthew's Gospel for the first time, we would discover that this is the very first time that the disciples openly confess Jesus' true identity. I think it's hard for us to imagine what it would mean for law-abiding, Sabbath-keeping, synagogue-attending Jews like these guys to admit this. Their whole upbringing has taught them that there's only one person who deserves to be worshipped, and he is the one true and living God. The Jews were understandably wary of the sea. It was restless, unpredictable, chaotic. They didn't like it. And yet they didn't actually believe the sea was uncontrollable. Because one of the hallmarks of the God they worshipped is that he could control the waves. He was master of the deep, treader of the waves, controller of the currents. And somehow, somehow, here he is, standing in the boat right in front of them. And they can trust him. 
the wiser Peter who climbs out of the boat, wiser Peter who walks on the waves, wiser Peter who needs Jesus to rescue him. Could it be that Peter, the future leader, needs to learn two things? That when the waves come crashing over his life, and they will, when the winds threaten to knock him off balance, and they will, he needs to know that he is very vulnerable. He simply doesn't have what it takes to walk on water or to lead the Lord Jesus Church in his own strength. But the other thing he needs to learn is that when the winds, the winds do blow, when the waves come crashing, the Lord Jesus is stronger. He can calm the waves and he will build his church. And Peter discovers in this moment the lesson of a lifetime that he can't, but Jesus can. And that is enough. So what am I supposed to make of this passage, do you think? See, there was a time when I walked on water, a time when I heard the voice of Jesus and I jumped for joy, a time when I shared my faith with friends and neighbours, even if it meant facing ridicule or rejection, a time when I give gladly, even though it was real sacrifice. A time when I was willing to try something new, even if it meant the risk of failure. And sometimes I soared and sometimes I sank. But either way, I knew what it was to be free. But maybe, maybe I haven't been out of the boat for a while. In my retirement, what's it going to take to get me out of the boat again? I kind of assume that I'll meet Jesus at some big religious event like Keswick or Word Alive or here at this weekend. And, and praise God, I, I hope I will. But it often takes a storm for me to see Jesus. Human extremity seems to be the most frequent meeting place with God. God's deepest works often seems to be done in my very darkest hour. It's in the storm that I realize afresh who Jesus is. And I'm invited to trust him afresh. And what I want to say is if you find yourself caught up in a storm today, then take heart. Just as you are to listen for Jesus to say it's for you. Look out for Jesus to pass by because he's still looking for followers who are willing to get out of the boat. But what if you're here this weekend and you don't know the Lord Jesus yet? Well, firstly, it's wonderful that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. I, I don't know the name of your boat. It may be self-reliance. It may be apathy. It might be pride. Whatever it is, can I just warn you that the ultimate storm is brewing? It's God judgment day. It's a storm that none of us can survive on our own. And I want to appeal to you today to find out who Jesus is. Maybe there'll be an explorer's group at church that you could get along to. Maybe you could take the opportunity to talk to someone here this weekend when we've got time. 
Start reading the Bible. Start praying at home. Whatever. Can I appeal to you to find out who Jesus is? Listen to what he says. And above all, trust what he can do. Because you see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped out of his boat. He left the comfort zone of heaven and walked into the choppy waters of our fallen world. It was a journey that would take him to the cross. There was no rescuing hand stretched out for him. Jesus went all the way to hell and back for us. Realizing what he's done by laying down his life on a cross for people just like us, just so that we can find forgiveness and a welcome with Father God as we were just singing. This weekend, if Jesus is passing by, don't miss the opportunity. He may be calling you to get out of your boat and walk towards him today. Let's pray.